Moving on now, despite repeated warnings from the United States of a possible Russian attack on Ukraine, Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro has now confirmed an official trip to Russia this week. Brushing off pressure from his own cabinet, Brazil's far-right president has decided to go ahead with a visit to meet his Russian counterpart Vladimir Putin. Hello and welcome back to LATAM Dialogues, the podcast series in which the team at LATAM Dialogue bring you up to date on the most important news stories, issues and trends from Latin America. I am Sonia, the Editor-in-Chief at LATAM Dialogue, and you just heard an extract from a news report by a news outlet called The World is One News, explaining how Bolsonaro, Brazil's far-right president, visited Russia just before Putin invaded Ukraine. Putin's choice to invade neighbouring Ukraine has sparked outrage around the world due to the seemingly blatant disrespect for another country's sovereignty, as well as the brutal war that has already cost too many lives. As is the case for most wars, they have rippling effects across the world, and this war, being so high profile, is of course no exception. In this episode, we will be exploring how Russia's invasion of Ukraine affects Latin America. But first, in the first half of the episode, we'll be focusing on the relationship between Latin America and Russia over the past few decades, and how different countries in the region have interacted with Russia. You will hear a very interesting interview that Latin Dialogue editor Lucas had with Andre Pagliarini. Andre is a Brazilian-American assistant professor of history at Hampton Sydney College in Virginia. He has also taught Latin American history at Dartmouth and Brown, and he now frequently writes for the Brazilian Report, which he recently wrote a piece on Bolsonaro's reaction to Russia. This will provide a great context for the second half of the episode, during which I will be speaking with Brian Campo Romero, a Cuban political risk analyst, about the last few weeks following Russia's invasion of Ukraine and how Latin America reacted, as well as what some likely consequences of the war will be for Latin America. So, without further ado, here is Lucas's interview with André. Hi, Andrea. Nice to have you here for this episode. Well, thank you for the invitation. Uh, it's a pleasure to, to talk about these issues with you. Okay, uh, let's go into the first question. Uh, can you please tell us a bit about which are Russia's key interests in Latin America in the last 20 years uh, since the 21st century started? Yes, I think uh, Latin America, both for the United States, of, of course, but also for, for Russia, has a long standing uh, symbolic importance. And it's not just symbolic, but I'll, but I'll begin with the, the symbolism, which is uh, a place that is, um, generally speaking, contested by different powers, different ideologies. Russia, of course, going back to the era of the Cold War, has a kind of symbolic importance for many Latin Americans. And I think there are lots of Latin Americans who still kind of think of Russia in the Cold War terms as a kind of anti-U.S. empire uh, force. And so uh, Russian foreign policy towards Latin America and vice versa has been, I think, really focused on the idea of countering or containing or pushing back in some way against U.S. hegemony, U.S. empire um, in the hemisphere. In material terms, uh, you know, there are longstanding trade ties, for example, between uh, Cuba and, and Russia, uh, Venezuela and Russia, which from the U.S. point of view sort of signals these bad actors, you know, uh, uh, cooperating with each other. But, um, you know, for Venezuela, for Nicaragua, for, for Cuba, Russia, I think, still is a different, represents a different road, right, a different path on the world stage 
than the one dominated by the United States. Uh, I think that's a very interesting point, what you make about the symbolic importance Latin America has, right? As an area of contestation, right? And also as the backyard of the U.S. for a long time, right? Right, absolutely. Um, and how would you describe uh, the success or lack of success of Russia in gaining more influence or symbolic power over Latin America in the last years? I mean, what was the state of Russian-Latin American relations uh, before the war? Before the war, I think it was relatively less complicated uh, you know, for Latin American leaders to associate themselves with Vladimir Putin. Now, we have to remember that even before the outbreak of war in, in Ukraine, uh, Putin had been increasingly alienated, I think it's fair to say, from uh, the United States. So when it comes to Latin American leaders in general, there's been a, a, an increasingly stark divide, I would say, between governments that are closely aligned with the United States and those who are more closely aligned or who are seeking deeper ties with China and Russia. And I put those two in the same sort of category, China and Russia, because again, these are these are uh, counterbalances to US hegemony. And, you know, Russia is not involved in Latin America to the same extent as China, which is pouring uh, infrastructure money and all kinds of, uh, you know, Huawei as a Uh, key figure in the future of internet in Latin America. I don't, you know, I, I don't think Russia is quite at that level, but Russia is in a unique position that, you know, what I began with earlier, this combination of symbolic resonance uh, and a willingness to deploy strategically material resources too. Uh, you know, the vaccine, for example, the Sputnik vaccine that Russia developed uh, in, during the pandemic, uh, this was widely purchased across Latin America. Um, Argentina, the, the president famously, you know, had, had the Sputnik vaccine. And so, you know, I think most Latin American countries have not cut ties with Russia. You know, they, they, they've maintained cordial ties, but that relationship with Russia has become increasingly fraught, I would say, over the course of the past decade. And again, we might be going through an experience right now with the war that will change that. But we just, I don't think we quite know yet. And Andra, uh, you were mentioning China. Uh, when one looks at the numbers, China has much more trade with Latin America than Russia. Russia is quite marginal in comparison. So my question is, what does Russia have to offer to Latin American countries? I mean, why is it that it's in Latin American countries to get closer to Russia in a, on a material level? Yeah. Yeah, well, so very a very specific example in the case of Brazil, um, when the war in Ukraine broke out, there was a lot of pressure on the Bolsonaro administration to get very tough with with uh, Russia to right to very seriously denounce the, the invasion and so on. But one of the reasons Bolsonaro has been reluctant to do that, and there are several reasons, but one reason he argued was that Brazilian agribusiness, which is a huge part of the nation's economy, depends on fertilizer uh, and other agrarian uh, products that Russia overwhelmingly is a producer of. So it's not, as you say, I think you're right, that it's not that Russia has these very deep, varied ties uh, of economic trade with Latin America, but it does have in very specific, very crucial areas like, ag like agriculture. 
it has a very that in those areas it does have a very deep connection ones that are painful to cut off so you know russia has been very i think deliberate about insinuating itself in these really important economic areas such that brazil to take the biggest example of latin america um, finds it quite difficult to overnight cut ties with russia even though again it's not a huge part of its trade it's a really important part of its trade Um, and you were mentioning Brazil, and you are Brazilian-American. Uh, can you expand a bit more on the Brazilian-Russian relationship? Because I'm quite curious about the fact that Putin is very close to uh, left-wing leaders like Ortega and Nicaragua or Maduro in Venezuela. Well, if we can call them left-wing leaders, uh, but they identify as left-wing. Um, mm -hmm. Why is it that a far-right uh, politician like Bolsonaro also gets along with Putin? I think Putin um, is one of these figures that people from different ideologies can kind of see something about him that appeals to them. So when I was a graduate student still at, at Brown University, we received, we hosted former president of Brazil, Joma Rousseff uh, in 2016, shortly after her, uh, she was impeached. And at dinner, she, we were, she, she was talking about Vladimir Putin as someone who um, she thought, this is, you know, this is six years ago, so very, it's a different context, but that she thought he was unfairly maligned on the international stage a lot of times. She insisted that, look, uh, you know, this is a person who wants his country to have a bigger say on international events, and Russia's a major country, and they should be respected as a major country on the world stage. Um, and this gets at a broader perception that many, I think, on the left in Latin America have, um, which is a sense of, look, you know, Russia's solidarity, uh, I'm sorry, sovereignty, Russian sovereignty uh, is a reality that even if the United States does not like Vladimir Putin, he is the president of Russia. He should, you know, be, be treated as the elected leader of this country. And that, you know, then they get into the broader argument that many are making, which is that the creeping advance of NATO closer and closer to Russia is a legitimate threat on Russian sovereignty. And so, as you say, you know, why is it that people on the left, not all, but some support this argument? I think it has a little bit to do with a historical uh, anxiety that in the Western hemisphere, US imperialism, that the United States has played a role in Latin American countries that they see a kind of analog, that Putin is pushing back against a kind of European, American imperialism, and that they generally tend to support that. From the right, I think someone like Bolsonaro looks at Putin and very frankly, in my opinion, sees a kind of kindred spirit. I think Bolsonaro, if he could, tomorrow would be instituting the kinds of democratic crackdowns that Putin is uh, in freedom of the press, you know, and sort of intensely conservative and right-wing and nationalistic and belligerent. Um, and so I think there are different elements of Putin that appeal to different sectors. So you are mentioning uh, Dilma Rousseff, right? Uh, Center-left um, mm -hmm. and, and how she saw uh, Putin. Um, and I was wondering before that, you were also saying that in the last decade, there was a relationship that was 
it's fraught, right? Or that, that has mm -hmm. some levels of difficulty. Uh, can you expand on that? So was Putin successful in completely getting closer to Latin America or did he have some challenges in the last decade? Well, I think he's, he's limited um, to the extent that, you know, there's only so much uh, actual trade. There's only so much in material terms that Russia can offer Latin America and vice versa. I mean, Latin America, I, you know, I don't have the numbers. I'm sorry, Russia is not a major, major economy, right? It's not like uh, China, for example, which, as you, as you mentioned earlier, is pouring all of this money into uh, Latin American infrastructure. It's making itself an indispensable partner. Russia isn't, you know, it's just not quite at that level. Um, and so I think Latin American leaders, when, when I say it's, uh, it's a fraught, that Russia plays a fraught dynamic, um, I think it's because there are costs, and there have been over the course of the past decade, there are costs uh, that come with being seen as too close to Vladimir Putin. So if you think about it, one of the closest governments to Putin uh, is the Maduro government in, in Venezuela. And this is in part because the United States uh, has you know, buried Venezuela under so many sanctions uh, that it doesn't have too many trade partners. And so it has you know, the people who are willing to thumb their noses at the United States, China, Russia, um, whereas in a, in a place like uh, Brazil, Argentina, for example, certainly now Chile, uh, you know, the that line is a little more delicate. So um, could you uh, historically or with a historical focus on, on the last years uh, map me out uh, what are the different levels of closeness to Russia that Latin American countries have? And how do these levels or diversity of levels of closeness uh, restrain the countries in different ways? Generally speaking, three different paths here. One in the middle, which is to say, look, we condemn the invasion, but we're not going to break ties with Russia. This should be uh, mediated by international institutions, which is a country like, like Brazil. And, and the reason I, I, I call them in the middle is because there is this idea of deferring in the present conflict to international institutions. The other approach is to say, look, we are on the side, we understand what Putin is doing. We think he has a moral case. We support that invasion. There are those countries that are much closer to Putin, both, I would say, perhaps for ideological reasons, you know, strongman uh, government with not a whole lot of open democratic processes. Uh, Venezuela, Nicaragua, uh, Cuba, historically. And then on the opposite end, it's basically um, there are, you know, governments, and I, and I don't think there are too many in this camp, but who basically side with the United States. That, that you know, it's sanctions, it's uh, uh, cutting off all trade. That's the approach here. So generally speaking, historically in recent years, Colombia has been uh, very aligned with, with the United States. Uh, in many issues, uh, Chile under the the, the the previous government, Chile, uh, Argentina under Macri, that I think would have been much more likely to embrace, generally speaking, the United States. Perfect. Thank you very much, Andre. It has been great to have you. Well, thank you, uh, Lucas, for the invitation. This has been a lot of fun.
In the second part of this episode, we will be focusing more on recent events. We will be discussing the effect that the Russian invasion of Ukraine has had on Latin America. Of course, the effects of the invasion and the subsequent war that has already lasted over a month is felt most deeply in Ukraine. However, as we live in such an interconnected and globalized world, the effect of all wars, especially those with such a high profile as this one, and that has seen countries react in unprecedented ways, are felt around the world, Latin America being no exception. As mentioned in the introduction, our guest um, for this part of the episode is Brian Campbell Romero. He is an independent political risk analyst from Cuba, and we actually were lucky enough to have him on the podcast as a guest in season one. So I'm super happy that he's back to discuss this topic with us today. So hi, Brian. Thank you so much for being on the podcast again. Hi, it's a pleasure to be back. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I think we should dive um, right in because we just heard from um, from Lucas and we had his, his interview and we had a lot of context on where we are at and where the region is at um, in terms of its relationship with Russia in her historical sense. So my first question to you, Brian, is right when Russia invaded Ukraine and, well, declared war on Ukraine, how did different Latin American leaders respond to the invasion? Um, well, that's a very, very interesting question. Um, the, the response of the region's public, uh, as well as the reactions we've seen from the political class uh, to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, came in a very diverse context. But before I tell you, I tell you a little bit more about how the region is responding to this crisis, I think it is important to mention two factors that condition the region's perception of Russia's war. Uh, first. I would say uh, the information offensive that Russia has maintained in Latin America in the last few years. Uh, just recently, Foreign Policy Magazine reported that Russia's state-owned media organizations unleashed a uh, wave of disinformation, particularly, uh, especially directed at Spanish language speakers in January before the invasion. Uh, this effort. Uh, was directed at producing support among Hispanics in the Western Hemisphere for Ukraine. In January of this year, uh, it was really alarming the speed at which Russian propaganda began dominating the Spanish language digital airways during the troop buildup along uh, Ukraine's border. Just during the last half of January, uh, Russian government-owned outlets published more than a thousand posts that referenced Ukraine, including videos, articles, uh, social media content in general. And uh, well, they got more than a, a hundred thousand engagements, such as likes, shares, and comments. Um, the second factor, I would say, conditioning Latin America's response is Russia, Russia, um, Russian diplomatic engagements with various governments in the region. President Vladimir Putin even had phone calls with his counterparts in Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua. And many Russian high-ranking officials uh, visited these countries before the invasion. Actually, the president, uh, the speaker of Russia's uh, parliament, the State Duma, was in Cuba the night of the invasion. Uh, but it's not just these countries. President Alberto Fernandez of Argentina and President Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil, visiting Moscow before the invasion. Uh, so I would say, as usual, the region is not a monolith. But I, I don't want your audience to go away with a sense that 
some countries are supporting Russia, or at least not openly criticizing Russia, based on antiquated uh, ideological positions. Russia has worked hard uh, to build this support. In the first uh, vote at the United Nations General Assembly to condemn Russia's invasion, in which the international community actually, actually voted overwhelmingly in favor of condemnation, non-Latin American or Caribbean country voted with Russia. However, a few abstained, notably Cuba, El Salvador, Bolivia, and Nicaragua. In the second UN vote, this time to expel Russia from the United Nations Human Rights Council over uh, the atrocities committed by its forces during the war in Ukraine, Cuba and Nicaragua voted against it, shifting from the previous more cautious abstention votes, votes uh, to signal uh, their open support for Moscow. Bolivia also voted against it, but more surprisingly, two of the region's heavyweights, Mexico and Brazil, abstained from voting, along, along with El Salvador, uh, Barbados, Belize, other things, Guyana, St. Kitts and Nevis, and St. Vincent, showing that, that Latin America and the Caribbean continue to be divided in the response to the war in Ukraine. Mm, very interesting. And I think actually it's quite surprising to hear that um, Russian state-run media is actually spread so widely. And as you said, into Spanish language media um, and in Latin America as well. So the reach of their propaganda or fake news um, is a lot more far-reaching. And I didn't know that it actually had reached Latin America. So that's so interesting. Um, and yes, indeed, I think the region is very divided in terms of its response to um, Russia's invasion. So the, the next question I wanted to ask you is about one of the biggest shifts to come out of this war, um, strategy shifts, um, not within Ukraine, but perhaps within um, the rest of the world, is this idea of shifting away from reliance on Russian energy sources, most notably um, gas and oil, of course. So the fact that a lot of Western countries, um, and non-Western countries as well, have sort of decided to for this shift away from Russian gas and oil. What effect will this have on Latin America, do you think? Um, well, we already saw immediately after the first couple, couple of rounds of uh, sanctions imposed by the Biden administration on Russia, uh, Latin America's energy producers already started getting traction. Uh, obviously, Venezuela, actually the Biden administration in a surprising move sent a delegation to Venezuela, uh, uh, allegedly they discussed uh, opportunities to increase oil production in Venezuela. Nothing came came out of that. Uh, well, with the exception of uh, two Americans that were in prison in Venezuela, they got released. Um, but we already saw kind of a change in the mindset of the Biden administration, or maybe they used this opportunity to try to get to move things along with Venezuela. But that's another topic. The reality is that energy producers elsewhere uh, immediately started getting more attention. Guyana comes to mind as well. Guyana recently discovered massive oil reserves. Um, they still are in the exploration phase, but you know, in the in the near future, Guyana is going to play a very important role in global markets. But you know, while oil and gas have gotten most of the headlines in the Russian sanctions debate with oil being the commodity whose price changes are most obvious to the average consumer, 
the effect uh, the effect of, of sanctions on other Russian commodities uh, is also important. Russia controls 4% of global cobalt production and 11% of nickel production. Uh, following uh, the sanctions package dropped on, on Russia, uh, cobalt price increased from $74,000 per ton to $82,000 per ton, just like that. Um, Nicholas price as well. Um, now, I think the price, the last, the last time I checked, was $32,000 per ton, but uh, at the beginning of March um, was $25,000. Right, um, and I think shortages and price rises in those commodities will um, have a very important effect in, in many areas. Actually, you know, sometimes we don't really talk about the importance of many of those minerals for the uh, um, clean energy production. But the reality is that um, the average, for example, the average electric car battery contains 80 pounds of nickel uh, and 15 to 30 pounds of copper. So we still need these minerals and we need to get them from uh, from any other producer that is capable to provide at this time. So Latin American countries, in the case, for example, with nickel, Cuba is a, is a country that comes to mind, but there are other Latin American countries that at this time have the ability to provide more and have uh, an enhanced uh, role in, in global markets as, as the world moves away from Russian energy. Mm, interesting. Thank you. That is very interesting, actually. Indeed, it is not just um, oil and gas that is being affected by the Russian invasion. Yeah, so on, off the back of what you just said, actually, um, my next question was indeed about other commodities. I've already touched on it, as I just mentioned. Um, but how about, I've, I've heard a lot about the increase in the price of wheat and food shortages, etc. So can you touch on some other commodities and the effect that the war will have in this sense on Latin America? It's interesting because even before the invasion, we were already seeing changes in commodity markets, financial markets, and supply chains around the world. But Russia's invasion uh, of Ukraine will, will have important consequences for Latin America's economy this year. Uh, the crisis obviously is driving our national prices of commodities to new heights, while also uh, rising the, the risk of a flight to safety that generates capital flight from emerging markets. Um, the combination of these factors will complicate uh, and aggravate the price pressures in a region that has already been struggling to keep inflation at bay. Uh, at the same time, I would say that there will be opportunities amid the crisis for the region. One is that uh, Latin America and the Caribbean uh, has multiple commodity producers, and they will benefit from higher fiscal and external revenue. Another possible opportunity is that Latin American businesses might be able to use global supply chain disruptions as leverage to expand their footprint in overseas markets. However, for some countries, especially countries in Central America and in the Caribbean, high commodity prices will put more pressure on, uh, on their fiscal and external accounts. Um, the bottom line for Latin America is that the regions direct direct uh, economic exposure to Russia is, is very limited. According to the IMF, only 0.5% of Latin American exports are uh, directed uh, for the Russian market. And the region, the region relies on Russia for just, uh, I think, 0.9% of its total imports. 
uh, no economy in the region sends more than 5% of its imports to Russia or receives more than 5% of its imports from, from Russia. That said, there are some areas uh, where there are deeper ties to Russia in certain sectors. For example, Russia is a major buyer of meat products from Argentina and Paraguay, and, and an important supplier of fertilizers to Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, um, and Peru as well. I, say, I will say that reduced access to Russian commodities will drive up the cost of renewable and electric vehicles as gas prices also increase. We've talked about this already. Um, but what I will, I think I, the conclusion is that we will see in the future an enhanced role of Latin American energy providers in global markets. And we will see countries in Latin America that are not commodity producers suffer a little bit more uh, as prices increase uh, constantly in the near future. Mm, thank you so much. Yeah, I think um, we've just spoken a lot about the economic effects of the Russian invasion and the subsequent war um, in, La in Latin America, increasing energy prices, increasing commodity prices. But I just wanted to end on a bit of a different question. And you already started mentioning a bit um, in the beginning where you mentioned fragmentation within the region in especially in how they well how they deal with Russia and how how they perceive Russia so how do you think the um the war against Ukraine um will affect the region in that sense do you think it will cause more fragmentation um well look most countries in the region already uh are aligning with the United States on this uh except for those that, that abstain from March UN resolution condemning Russia's invasion. Um, I will say like, like the pandemic, the effects of the Ukraine conflict and resulting inflection shock have exacerbated political uh, headwinds for incumbents. Uh, and I, I would say that this issue would add momentum to a leftward shift in the region's politics. This means trouble for Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro, who faces uh, a battle for re-election in October against uh, Lula da Silva, and, and an added boost for Colombia's Gustavo Petro ahead of the May elections in, in that country. Um, I think, yes, uh, we see some fragmentation. At the same time, I think regional politics uh, is all, is overwhelmingly in support of you know uh, the respect for sovereignty uh, for self determination. So I I don't think there is a government in the region that likes uh, or enjoys what's happening. Even uh, strong allies of Moscow in Latin America have been trying to put some distance. Um, Recently, the Organization for American States just uh, voted to suspend Russia's uh, observe, observing the status in that organization. So for domestic politics, I would say it will have an effect to in, in future elections, uh, but it's very limited. It, it is very limited. And, and the region is you know, uh, preoccupied with other issues uh, that are more important. So in, in the long term, I don't see more fragmentation coming from this in, in a meaningful way. Mm. Okay, well, Brian, thank you so much for sharing your opinions and analysis and insights with us today. Um, it's been great to have you on the podcast and I really hope we have you on again soon. Thank you.
Thank you. Thank you.